Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Is this the real life or is this just a fictional reality? Hello, everyone. Welcome back. My name is James Elliott. I'll be your host for this episode of Fictional Reality. Uh, this week I sat down with a very good friend of mine, Rob Pensilfini, who is, uh, oh man, he wears a lot of hats, he does a lot of things. He's a professor of linguistics over at University of Queensland, he's also the artistic director of the Queensland Shakespeare uh, Ensemble, and an apothecary in his spare time. So he brought a few of his homebrew beers over last night, we had a few, recorded an episode, and here it is. Uh, enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Fictional Reality. Shit, here we are again. Here we are again. In the same time, in the same place. Um, I'm here this week with Robert Pensilfini. Oh, you use my formal name. <laughs> That's right. And then we'll, uh, we'll go backwards from there. And, uh, yeah, we are trying some brews, some beers, and having a bit of a chat, I thought we'd press record and talk about fictional realities. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, but firstly, what is this beer? <coughs> okay, this is uh, called Oak and Smoke. Mm-hmm. It's a porter. It's not a particularly strong porter, it's only 5% alcohol, but you wouldn't know it from the taste. It's very full, very malty. Uh, as the name suggests, it... Um, it contains a smoked malt. I think it's about 30% smoked malt, maybe less. Uh, gives it its smoky characteristics. Duh. Yeah. Um, and it's also been oaked, which does not mean that I stored it in oak barrels for several years because I'm both poor and impatient. It <laughs> means that towards the end of fermentation, I chucked some uh, oak chips chips from oak barrels from Kentucky that had had bourbon stored in them for at least four years. They then get soaked in bourbon um, so that kills any bugs that are in them and thrown into the fermenter right at the end of the whole process. Mm. That was a long answer to a simple question. <laughs> it was good. It bodes ill. And it is a good porter. It's, it's alright if I say so myself. Yeah. And I do. Yep. It's got that nice... I don't know, it's not quite... Cho- it's like chocolate and smoke mixed together. Mmm. So, Rob, this, as I said briefly, is a podcast about fictional realities. And I was interested in... And we just had a tiny conversation before with um, my housemate and his partner. Um, about how language shapes our reality. Oh, yeah. And that one. I was wondering... It's a broad... So, it's a broad question, but... Give it a crack. How does language shape our reality? Where does the language yeah. come in? Okay, so I'm going to be disappointing 
joy kill and say <laughs> not nearly as much as people would like to think it does. I like that answer. So <clears throat> there is very, very clearly a connection between the language that we use and what we use it for, right? But okay. they're not the same thing. Um, interestingly enough, I was talking to a bunch of people about this earlier today. Um, if I had to say to someone, what's the sun? They might say, <clears throat> oh, it's that thing that warms us and provides light uh, and looks like it rises and so, you know, so on. But they haven't really answered the question. They've told me what, what it does and what we use it for. Right. right. What it is, is, you know, excuse my ignorance, those of you who know a lot more about this sort of stuff than I do, <laughs> but it's a big freaking ball of burning gas with a fuck ton of gravity. Mm. Um, <laughs> that's more than I know about the sun. Right. But it, there's a, so there's the same thing you can d- define a car. What's a car? Oh, it's a vehicle that transports yeah. people. Doesn't That's not the answer to what it is. No, that's we define it by it its does, function. Right? So language is definitely... Used for <coughs> communication. Yeah. And what we communicate is those things which concern us. So that's determined individually, culturally, that's the big one, of oh, course. Yeah, right. So if your culture is concerned with X, Y, and Z, you're going to have a big vocabulary for X, Y, and Z. Like that old chestnut about the Eskimos having a hundred words for snow. Well, yeah. firstly, that's false. <laughs> but secondly, so what? We have at least a hundred words for brown fizzy drinks. Here's one: porter. Yeah, right. Know, um, right. You know, Coke, Dr Pepper, etc. So what yeah, does that yeah. say? Something profound? No, it just says. Well, that maybe does say something profound and perhaps sad, but um, yeah, you know, it, of course, right? Yeah, but it, that's not. Yeah, go on. I was going to say it's interesting that those words, those differentiated words that we have for all these different types of brown fizzy drink are differentiated by their experience of them rather than their function. Sure, sure. And um, on the old snow thing, if you talk to, say, a skier, a professional skier, right? they've got a lot of different words for snow. Yeah. You know, I know, like, two of them, snow and powder, you know, but all those right. different sort of little terms because it's relevant to them because they make different uses of them. Mm. Exactly, exactly. So the person who you know, can't stand Coke but loves Pepsi. They make different <laughs> uses of those. If you give those to, I don't know, someone from a culture that has never encountered brown fizzy drinks, if mm. there still is one, um, they're probably not going to really discern or care about the difference between those things. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they with won't your housemates, we were talking about <laughs> shades of different colours, shades of blue. I mean, is it teal? Is it aqua? Is it baby mm. blue, sky blue, powder blue? I don't even know what all those different terms mean. Do you duck egg blue? Really? I mean, I don't know. If you're an interior decorator, yeah, that matters, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and if you're in a culture from, we were talking about, like, where I've worked in Central Australia, not even the water's blue. The only thing that's blue out there is the sky, and that's called the sky. Yeah. Um, the water's white. You know, you're not going to need a whole bunch of different words for blue. Anyway, the point being, the (laughs) use you put it to, what language is in terms of its nuts and bolts, is it it a ball of burning hydrogen with a high gravity? Is it a Mm, um, a huge mm. mass? You know, is it a a combustion engine? You know, what are the nuts and bolts that make it up? Yeah. That doesn't really hold to say that it's... That it shapes our thought, that those things shape our thought. So, for example, what would that look like? <laughs> mm. Well, 
So in English, we put the verb before its object. Yeah, right. Kick the ball. Um, pass the student. You know, that sort of thing. In Japanese, they put the object before the verb. The ball kick. You know, right. Uh, and so forth. I don't know. We don't really go about our lives doing things in reverse order, do we? In <laughs> Japan versus English-speaking countries. You know, that, that's oh, yeah, that's a good a example. ridiculous example. That's a good example of how, yeah, um, different languages don't mean uh, different behaviours. Or... Yeah, yeah. And if they really... Um, oh, two things on that. Like, there was actually a claim. So this is a more subtle example. Um, Mandarin. Chinese lacks uh, what's called a counterfactual construction. Okay. So that's where we say, like, if it hadn't rained, I would have gone to the beach. So you're saying in the first clause something contrary to the fact. If it hadn't rained means it did rain. Yeah, right. And then what you're saying in the next clause didn't happen. Okay. If it hadn't rained, I would have gone to the beach. It means it did rain and I didn't go to the beach. Yeah, yeah. Now, Chinese doesn't have one of those okay. instructions. So it was posited, well, how do they conceive of counterfactual situations? Right. They can't do it. Okay. So experiments were done. And experiments were done that showed, oh, my God, they can't do it. And then Five Chinese men were strapped to a chair and yeah. electrocuted until they couldn't talk. That's right. And, and then conclu- talk. <laughs> and then they conclusively told us what we wanted to hear. Yeah. And so, then it turned out that the translations were crap, right? So the experiment's been run several times again. Turns out Chinese people, lo and behold, can conceive of counterfactual constructions. Amazing. I know. Without Western intervention? (laughs) Well, we don't know. They do have Coca-Cola and McDonald's. Um, So, maybe they they brought counterfactual constructions with them. If I didn't drink that Coke, I I wouldn't hit that person. Coke. I wouldn't weigh 400 kilos. Um, Yeah, and the other thing is, we know that people... Like, we see that as people get older, right, it's it's harder to change the way we think, yeah? That's generally agreed. I'm no expert in that. Seems to be, yeah, yeah, culturally at least. So, if your language really influences the way you think, then you think a certain way, wouldn't it be really hard to, like, learn another language? Yeah. There are examples mm. of people, and I'm not just talking about I'm 50 years old. Oh, I think I'll learn Swahili. Yeah. You know, not that. I mean, like colonization happens. English-speaking <coughs> people come to and dominate your area. Mm. You and your people are herded together with people who don't speak the same language as you. So you begin to speak the colonizers' language. Now that happened in Australia, United yeah. States, many parts of the world, right? Yeah, yeah. And guess what? people learn to speak the language and furthermore mm. they then shape the language and you get these things like creoles like in so creoles are sort of hybrid languages okay right very slang they, driven they pop up no nah, well they pop up in these usually in in colonies they're like post-colonial <laughs> languages so like in jamaica creole i know um, there's like french and creole yep there's haitian creole which is a creole of french mauritian creole which is a creole of french yeah jamaican creole is a creole of english and the biggest indigenous language in australia is actually creole um spelled k-r-i-o-l creole but it's a creole <laughs> which means most of the words come from english and most of the grammar comes from english oh, but interesting. it isn't english it's another language and right. it's strongly influenced by the 
needs, the cultural needs, what people are going to put it to of indigenous cultures. So it's like, yeah, well, the language is structured like English, but guess what? Mm. We're going to use it this way. So it's that difference between what the language is and what it's used for. But (laughs) your housemate did mention some research, which is kind of interesting, which is specifically about colour terms. Yeah. And it does seem that your colour terms get set at a certain point and that your language may have something to do with it. Interesting. So that if you don't have words for teal, powder blue, baby blue, duck egg blue, royal blue, navy blue, blah, 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 that you may not actually be able to perceive the differences between those colours. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, you just got to ask yourself, if you go out into snow with enough time out there, will you be able to perceive all the different forms of snow? I reckon you would. I think so too. Like, why not? Yeah. It's just about exposure to the environment. Totally, totally. And I've, you know, travelled in the bush with people who have said, oh man, it's just unchanging, this landscape, it's all the same. And I'm like, why well, we've been through 16 different habitats in the last two hours. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, you start to... And that's, <clears throat> you know, that that's the thing about... All realities are fictional, man. That's exactly right. That's um, the point. <laughs> there's a point? No, 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 there's no point. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's completely meaningless, but that's fun. <sighs> Thank God, or yeah, yeah. no God, as the case may or may not be. <laughs> he did or did not say. <laughs> I have a play that asks the question I'm in a play at the moment called Grace and I'll, just as a random pivot on that yeah this is the advertising section it's an ad break yeah, oh yeah go on go ahead <laughs> um, a character in that asks uh, does it bother you that there's no God what's the answer what does the character respond? Well, in the context of the play, it's like uh, this guy's angry, sort of that people misuse the word of God to con money out of people. And oh, yeah. So my character goes, well, so you must be mad at God. And he goes, well, no, I'm, I don't believe in a God. And he's like, yeah, and you're mad that there's nothing up there to be the God that defines justice. It's like, well, yeah, I guess so. It's like, so you're mad that God doesn't exist? And, that proves that you uh, believe in God. Look, mate, this is life. <laughs> Love it or leave. <laughs> that is the exact response uh, of the character Carl. Who's <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know why it's here. It's Crikey, just here. Fucking... James, where can we see this play? Mm. <laughs> uh, you can see it at... Oh no, there's a glitch. Oh right, no advertising. I forgot this was the national broadcaster. <laughs> no, you can check it out at Seven Hills, I guess. I wasn't meaning to spruik the play. Yeah, but right. it just reminded me of that. Oh, 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 oh. I have a train. I have a train. Here it is. It's oh, leaving good. the station. All right. It's not to say there isn't a relationship between language and thought. Yeah. So... I think that it's fair to say that we can glean, perhaps, a lot out of uh, language yes. about how people do think, what's important to them, what's mm-hmm. salient, mm-hmm. how do they perceive the world, mm-hmm. what categories do they group things into, 
you know, that sort of thing. It's there in the language. But I think that's rather language being influenced by thought than the other way around. Yeah, um, I agree with that. We should not take correlation for causation. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's, there's definitely a, a link, I think. Um, and again, the Creoles, I think, are evidence of that because you see people taking a language like English and going... Well, that's cool, but we're going to use it this way because it suits us to use it this way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's yeah. the thought, the culture shaping the language. Because there's, there's been a lot of um, hoo-ha, hoo-ha, man, hoo-ha, <laughs> hoo-ha. A lot of rifling of feathers in the uh, academic linguistic community. Consternation, even. I'd go so far <laughs> as to call it consternation. Well, this is scandalous. <laughs> yes, well, verily. Okay. Predictive and prescriptive. Chomsky called someone a charlatan over it all. It was it was scandalous. Oh, good luck. Um, so there's this language which apparently doesn't um, have like doesn't have tense markers. Can't talk about the future or the past. Well, it's not that you okay. can't talk about the future or the past. They don't have a marking for future and past like right. other some other languages do. Yeah, yeah. And not all languages do anyway. And all this stuff has been linked in with it. Like, these people live only in the present moment to the point where, you know, there's no way of talking about the future. You know, if that were true... Yeah. When they do things like make a bow for hunting, which they do, what are they doing? <laughs> Why are they making a fucking bow? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's to kill a deer. Aha! Yeah, of course yeah. they're thinking about the future yeah, or the past. Yeah, yeah. Do they have stories? Do they have creation? Yeah. This, you know, myths and stories. It's like, look, just because the language doesn't use tense marking, doesn't mean that the people can't think about past, present, and future just like any other human on the planet. It seems an absurd premise that like language comes first and then experience should follow. Well, that's weird. Like that experience yeah. comes first. Everything, like that's all there is is experience. How do people get caught up thinking language came first? Because because in the beginning, there was the word. <laughs> well, I don't know, maybe that's got something oh, to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the word was... <laughs> Except no one could pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> no one could get it right. So existence just winked out again. It was the first aborted attempt at existence. <laughs> Good old existence. Ah, uh, existence. I always thought, if, uh, it's like, why why is there something rather than nothing? It seems like it's a lot more work to have something than nothing. It's like, yeah, well, if there was nothing, it would have existed for zero amount of time. So it already did, and therefore something had to fill its place. Like It's a glitch. Yeah. You can't have nothing for eternity. That's something. It seems self-evident. People say that sound is only defined by silence. But is it not also true that silence is not only defined by sound? Is only defined by sound? It, like, it seems like it has to be. They're, it's the one process, right? Yeah, even when you say no, silence is the absence of sound. Oh, sorry, how did you define that? In <laughs> terms of sound. So, yeah. Yeah. The very concept of nothing makes no sense in the absence of something. Oh, fuck, this has got too deep, too fast. Edit that shit out, man. Too down, bro. We're too far down. We're too far down.
<laughs> in my concept of the uh, time train dilation station, we are currently in the subreal, the uh, the subway that runs beneath the time train dilation sub-real. station. Subreal. Yeah. It's like the inverse of the surreal. Yeah. Subreal. And a subrail at the same time. Subway. Is it a monorail? Uh, yeah, I guess you could call it that. Yeah. Well, subrail. So the rail is above the travelling vessel. Uh, I thought it meant sub is in subground. All right. Yeah, like beneath the ground. But it's like shows you the inner workings of the time travel. Right. And then you realize, oh, reality is just uh, this weird little thing that happens. It is weird, though. What is being alive? Mm, Seeing through time. I mean, in the sense that people do. In the sense that at least humans do. Yeah. Possibly some other species won't get into it. But there are clearly many species that don't. One second through time, you mean? Like we sort of go one second at a time? No, but that we can kind of, even in the past, that we can conceive of a history and a narrative and all of those things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and likewise that we can project. Yeah. And we can speak of futures and so forth. Mm. And even, yeah. It's powerful abstraction. Fictional realities, man. The fact yeah. that we can do that at all is odd. I mean, I get where it comes from. Yeah. I get how it's helpful. It's very but useful. It, it's also what fucks us up. Well, it does, doesn't it? Well, yeah. it's it's super useful, and everything that's useful gets selected for, and then uh, I guess that's when you get into that freaking Sartrean thing of like, well, that's why a table is only defined by its function, and not actually what it is. Well, is it though? Was Sartre right, or was he just a <laughs> googly-eyed weirdo, drunk, depressive? Not that there's anything wrong with either of those things, no. of course. No, he's also a pop star, so... Was he? Yeah. He just was a pop star? He was... <laughs> yeah, he was a philosophical pop star. That's not really a pop star. It's <laughs> you know, like saying... The oh, coolest, shame. The coolest nerd. <laughs> he was a little googly-eyed man. Everyone was like, Sartre! They had his books being a nothingness. Holding him up, there's a picture of like people swarming into a theatre to see him talk. I'm like, yeah, I got a yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sign them leave. It was also post-war. Everyone was pretty demoralised and happy to feel it. Like any form of euphoria. Embrace the present moment. It's all there is. It's only the essence. You know, I realised the other day there's a prefix you. What do you mean? Well, you know, prefix is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know the prefix dis. Yeah. It's in disorder. Disappear. And- disappear uh, dystopia yeah disease right oh, well yeah. you is its opposite it's not as widely used but you get it in euphonious sounds yeah. good right? oh yeah eu yeah, yeah euphoria euphoria feels good yeah yeah, yeah. oh okay yeah, right um and i thought then well, why isn't utopia spelled eu because it's a dystopia utopia good place but uh, no, it's not right. That's a different prefix. That you ah. comes from a different Greek prefix. That huh? means not. So utopia means no place, not place. There is no such place. That's cool. Yeah, it doesn't mean good place. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and they are, dancing. They, <laughs> they are always... Um, it's, I've always found it interesting that the utopia is always has a catch. And the catch is always like, well, no, we live in the best one sort of right now. Because you wouldn't 
want to be in the utopia for the catch. You know, right. Soil and green or, you know. And I've always wondered it's, why we've yeah. never come up with a, utop- with a utopia that sort of everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's probably, yeah, that's probably the best. Well, wasn't that what, like, Plato was trying to do with the Republic? Make a utopia? Well, describe one. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, his uh, version of it. Yeah. Well, I haven't... What, Thomas More utopia? I'm not sure what, yeah. what the deal is there. That's where the word comes from, of course. Thomas More. Yep. Had his head lopped off and became St. Thomas More. Good for him. Yeah, man. That's Stood up for costs. what he believed in, by the sounds of it. Yes. <laughs> then lay down for it. The old head lopped off. The old head lopped off. You think it would be painful? Not for long. No. <laughs> well, that got bleak. <laughs> oh, yeah. We've gone in some weird ways. Oh, yeah, I'll wrap it up in the old official way. So, uh, thank you for joining us for another great little episode of uh, Fictional Reality. This week, I was talking with Rob Pennsylvania. A lot of uh, prefixes on the name and postfixes. <laughs> Um, and if you enjoyed, listen again. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>